Good evening. Please turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and we will read together from verse uh, four, two, 9 to the end of the chapter. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and we will read from verse 9. Shall we read together? I'm reading from the New King James Version. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yes, he pondered and sought out, yes, he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find acceptable words and what was written, and what was, written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like gods, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails, given by one shepherd, and further, my son, be admonished by these words. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study is wearisome to the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is man's awe, for God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Verse 13 and 14 again, let us hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's awe, for God will bring every work unto judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. Shall we turn to the Lord again and pray? Our Father and our God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, we thank you for the privilege that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ to gather together, to come to worship you, to come to hear you speak to us as we come now. We pray, our Father and our God, that you will, have your, you will have mercy and grace upon hearer and speaker alike. I am aware, my Father and my God, that I am but an unworthy vessel, and that without you I can do nothing. So grant, my Father and my God, that I might speak only that which you have placed upon my heart, that I might speak as a herald of you, the Lord God Almighty. Oh, Father, I pray that we all together might benefit from your word. For it is in the blessed name of your Son, even our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, that I pray. Amen. Amen. Brethren, I would like to speak to you this evening from Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and the verses starting at verse 13 and 14. Now, as we look at this book, we know that the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes is Solomon. And Solomon introduces himself in verse 1 of chapter 1. He says that he was a, he was a preacher, the son of David, and was a king in Jerusalem. And we know that this is Solomon. Now, 
of Solomon, we know that Solomon is reputed to have been the wisest, the richest, and the most influential of the kings of Israel. In this book, which some have termed as a sermon in print, Solomon examines human life, its meaning and, and purpose, firstly, from a human perspective. Solomon looks at the questions of gaining power, popularity, pleasure, and prestige. And he comes to the conclusion that this is meaningless, that it is vanity, that it cannot fill the God-shaped void in man's heart. Secondly, Solomon turns from this and looks at life from God's perspective. And we see that viewed from that vantage point, Solomon's skepticism and despair melt away. Life viewed from God's perspective is a gift from God. Now, when we look at Solomon himself as a person, of him a lot is known. And I said, as I have said earlier, we know that Solomon was a king in Israel, that he was the third king in Israel. He came after Saul and David. We also know of Solomon that early in his reign, when the Lord his God appears to him and asks Solomon what he would like the Lord to do for him, we find in 1 Kings 3 and verse 9 that Solomon asks for wisdom. Solomon says to his God that I am a young man, I have been given this task to rule over your people, and I do not know how to do it, and I desire wisdom from you that I might rule these people well. Yet, of this same Solomon, we know of his apostasy later in his life, how he turns away from the love of the Lord his God who had appeared to him at least twice during his reign. And we find the height of Solomon's apostasy as recorded for us in 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 1. Maybe we should turn to that. 1 Kings chapter 11 and verse 1. In 1 Kings, we find these unfortunate words recorded about Solomon. But King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you, 
Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And when we go on and see that the conclusion of this is that they turned away Solomon's heart from the love of the Lord, his God. Now, Solomon's fall is proof of the weakness of man's nature. We have said before, as I introduced Solomon, that he was the wisest man that ever lived, that ever ruled Israel. And yet we find recorded of him that he fell, that he turned away from the Lord his God, whom he had known, who had appeared to him. This, brethren, is for us an example and a lesson. Let not the wise man trust in his wisdom. There is nobody who is so wise that left to themselves they will seek after God. And in Solomon we find an example. Fortunately, however, the life of Solomon does not end with 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse 11. Because Solomon recovered from his apostasy, Solomon recovered from his backsliding. And his recovery is proof of God's grace in bringing back to himself one who has fallen from him, no matter how far they have fallen, if they seek his face again. He is faithful and kind and will forgive us our sin so long we repent and turn back to him. And in a sense, the book of Ecclesiastes, which Solomon, the scholars believe, wrote at the end of his life or towards the end of his life, when the Lord had drawn him back to himself and Solomon was examining his life and where he had gone wrong, Solomon pens this book of Ecclesiastes from his experience and Solomon resolves to teach other sinners the way of God as it were, to show that true happiness consists not in doing what we want, in giving in to all the cravings and desires of our flesh, but rather in fearing God and obeying his commandment. And this is the conclusion that, in fact, Solomon comes to. And this is the text 
that I said earlier that I would like to turn us to. Now, it is important to note that when, when Solomon makes this conclusion in, uh, in, uh, in chapter 12 and verse 13, the latter part, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. It is important for us to note that Solomon is not making a new discovery. Okay? It's not as if there had been a time when this was not so, but rather Solomon rediscovers his purpose and what he ought to have been doing. And if we turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 2, we start from verse 1. Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you are reading from the New King James Version as I am, you will find that there is stated there the greatest commandment. Now, this is the commandment, and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess. He is talking to the Israelites as they are going to the promised land. And he says to them, And you shall fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and all his commandments, which I command you and your sons and your grandson and all the days of your life, that your days may be prolonged. So this, brethren, had been an instruction that the Lord had already given, which Solomon had forgotten. And we, like Solomon, are fallen men and women prone to wonder until by his grace we come to our senses. And my aim this evening is to exalt us, to encourage us from Solomon's conclusion that we may learn from what Solomon went through that we might not go through that path or indeed if we have gone there that we might be restored like Solomon. Now I will attempt to do this by answering a few, a few questions and the first question I would like us to answer is how or how, how or why did Solomon come to this conclusion? How does Solomon come to this con conclusion? If we turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 10, we see how Solomon had lived when he fell. Whatever my eyes desires, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works which my hands had done, and on the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit 
under the sun. So we see that Solomon gives himself to everything that he desired to do. But it is important to note that this everything is actually everything which the Lord has forbidden. You know, we are reminded in, uh, in, uh, in uh, 1 John 2 and verse 15 about the world that it is passing away. And if we quickly turn to there, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the last of it. But he who does this, the will of God abides forever. Now, it is as if Solomon took this text as his uh, uh, example for life. He tells us all that he desires. So he gave himself to the lust of the flesh. So everything his flesh desired, whether it was sensual pleasures, whether it was food, he, he ate the lust of the eyes, everything he saw, he, he acquires, and the pride of life. But for Solomon, he comes to the conclusion that all these things will profit him nothing. Because having tried them, he saw that they profited him nothing. That they were all vanity. And as it were, he came to the conclusion that Job came to in Job chapter 1 and verse 20. In Job's case, when he had lost everything, and Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave. We brought nothing out of this world, and we will carry nothing, therefore, out of the world. And a desire for the things of this world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is meaningless. It is a grasping after the wind because they will benefit us nothing. And so we should learn from the example of Solomon, who tried it to the extent that I can confidently say without fear of contradiction that there is nobody in this room who can go to the lengths that Solomon did to acquire, to indulge sensual pleasures. He had what, 700 wives and 300 concubines or the other way? And gold and silver became like nothing in Jerusalem during his reign, but they brought him nothing. So you can be sure as well that if that is what you chase after, they will bring you nothing. And the right thing to do is to come 
to the position that Solomon came to. Fear God and keep his commandments. That is what is beneficial. Now, the second question then that we should try and answer is what is it to fear God? And I would like to say that to fear God is to give him the honor and due his name, the honor due to his name, to worship him and show him true devotion. That is what is to, to fear him. We see, for instance, in, in Psalm 86 and verse 11, if we, if, we, if we turn together quickly to Psalm 86 and verse 11, Teach me your ways, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Teach me your ways, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. So to, to fear God is to learn his ways, to obey his commandments. We see there that the fear of God involves us being united to him. To, to be able, uh, it is a being afraid to offend him, being desirous to please him in all that we do. It is not a dread of God, of running away from God. No, it's not like Judas having crucified the Lord, having rather betrayed the Lord to be crucified, runs away and goes and hangs himself instead of coming back to the Lord for forgiveness. That's a dread and a fear of what he has done. But it is not repentance. It is not coming to God. Another example of devotion to God as a result of the fear of the Lord is what we find in Proverbs Chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. If we turn together to Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So the fear of the Lord is about coming to the Lord to trust him with all our hearts, to depend on him, to acknowledge him in all our ways, in everything that we do, to know that we are before God. Imagine like what was said to, to Moses when he comes to the burning bush and the Lord says to him, take off your shoes. You are 
on holy ground. But we are, in a sense, always before God. Because he is an omnipresent God. And so we must acknowledge him. In all that we do, we must acknowledge him. But that also entails that, brethren, we must know and be conscious that in everything we do, God is there. God is watching. Okay, so we, you, we cannot run away from God's presence. So we are, whether we are alone and skimming something, or you are in discussion with your friend and misleading him, yes, you can mislead me, because I'm not God, but you are before God. And the fear of the Lord demands that we are aware that we are present, that, that, that God rather is present before us. And this, if we have that sense of knowledge of the presence of the Lord, will show in our lives. It will show in the way that we live, both outwardly, as we relate to one another, as people observe us live our lives, but also inwardly, in our private lives, what do we spend our time doing and thinking about? It will show. We will be a people much in prayer, a people who read his word to obey it. In the morning, we were being encouraged to love the word of God as nourishing milk. But imagine if the milk is here and I'm here and I'm not drinking it, nothing will happen. If I'm not getting nourished from the milk because I, I, I'm not taking it in, it, it, nothing will happen. So the word of the Lord must be obeyed. It must have an an an, an uh, impact, an effect on us. Another aspect, however, of the fear of the Lord is that we will be sincere as we draw near to him. That we, each one, will avoid eye service. It's not that or presentism that, no, I have come People have seen me. I'm sitting in the pew and I'm thinking of all kinds of things and I'm not here. No, no, but like, like, like someone I, I, I stay with like saying, it's like you go in an exam and you are more interested in what your fellow student thinks about the answers that you are giving than what the examiner thinks. Now, the examiner is God. So what we think about you is important only in our relationship. It is not important to God. If you are not sincere before him, you cannot go to God on that day and say, no, but in Chima, I thought I was a Christian and I was a very good one. No, because God knows. So we must 
obey his commandments in sincerity. And that is what the Lord calls us to do. And that is the measure of how or what we are to do. In Isaiah 29 and verse 13, we are told thus, Isaiah Therefore, the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear towards me is taught by the commandments of men. There are two things there that we are being cautioned against. That it is not enough to be present to utter something, but what is in your heart? What do you believe? What are you doing? So the fear of the Lord must be showed in a, from our hearts. It is not enough to go through the motions. It is not enough to be merely present. It is what is in our hearts, what do we desire? The third question is how do we show a true fear of the Lord? As I have stated, as we conclude, as we concluded the second question, it starts with the heart. We should draw near to God not only in word, but with our hearts. Secondly, we should respect the commandments and teaching of the Lord, of the scriptures, above all else. What we see in, 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 in Isaiah about the commandments of men, we see the Lord saying the same thing to the scribes about the commandments of men. In Mark 7, if we turn to Mark and chapter 7, the Gospel of Mark, in, in chapter 7, and in vain they washing me, I mean they worship me, teaching as doctrine, the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandments of God, you hold the traditions of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things as you do. So we are being uh, enjoined not to be like that. I know it's very easy for us to think that, no, we are not acting like that, but let's examine our practices, each one, and what we do what is it that we do that is actually taught from the scripture? We must always be aware or be careful that we teach only what the word says. We obey only the teaching 
of the word. And that is that and that alone should be uh, the standard. And a true fear of the Lord will also be encapsulated in us not being conformed to the pattern of this world. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, we are told, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, be not be conformed to the pattern of this world. We have seen before, and I will remind us, the pattern of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. In whatever manifestation they exhibit themselves, the scripture enjoins us, do not be conformed to this world. And so we should always, always examine ourselves that our practices, that our lives conform to the teaching of the scriptures, that we love the word of God, that we imbibe it, that we are soaked in it. That is what, that is what we are being, that was, that is what we are being taught. You know, we, if we do not know the word, if we do not read the commandments, if we do not assimilate them, how will they impact the way that we live? How? And brethren, we need to ask ourselves, firstly, each one, how are we living? Are we conforming to the pattern of this world? Or we are seeking to be transformed, to become more like Christ. And then we must move on and maybe ask the question of ourselves as a congregation of the children of God. How do we measure up? Have we come to this realization? Fourthly, why should we do this? Solomon reminds us, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all duty. This is why we were created. This is why we exist. If we are not doing this, we are not living in conformity to God's teaching. And we will look uh, briefly at the consequences of not doing that. And we, we are reminded in, uh, in, uh, in Psalm 100 and verse 3, if we turn together to Psalm 100, Know that the Lord 
he is God. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. That is why we must obey. We did not make ourselves. God made us and God made us for a, I mean for a purpose. And so we must conform to that purpose for which God made us. We see, fourthly, or is it fifthly, that the question of what, why we should do, why we should obey uh, uh, God's commands. In verse 14, we are reminded, for God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So God has laid before us what we ought to do, how we ought to live. He tells us why we ought to do that. But he also, lastly, reminds us that we will have to give an account to God for all we do. There is a judgment to come. And we will have to account, as we are told in Galatians, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatever you sow, you will reap. If you sow to the wind, you will reap a whirlwind. So if we live this life as if God did not matter, we will have to account to him. So, how then shall we conclude? Knowing this, that there is no one living now, or indeed who has lived before, who was wiser, richer, or more influential than Solomon, will we not take heed to Solomon's warning? Solomon reminds us that life without God, that the chasing after the last of the eyes, the last of the flesh, and the pride of life is meaningless. It will bring us to grief. So the question is, what will you do? Or indeed, what are you doing? Does your life show that this is your chief end, to fear God and to keep his commandments. If, as it were, that were to become a crime, will there be enough evidence to show that really you fear God and you keep his commandment or you will be acquitted? Lastly and finally, it is important that we resolve tonight, each one, that we examine ourselves. The Lord, our God, speaks to us from his word, and he has spoken and reminded us about how we ought to live. So it is left to us to resolve in our hearts and to resolve in a manner 
that will show. Shall we pray together? Our Father and our God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, we had prayed at the beginning of this service that you would speak to us from your word. Our Father and our God, we thank you that you've spoken to us from your word. We pray, Lord God Almighty, that you grant your grace that we might be obedient to the word that we have heard, that we, each one, might be impacted and might resolve, Lord God Almighty, from whatever standpoint we come from, to seek, to fear you, and to obey your word, that in all our ways we would acknowledge you to the extent that it will show in the way we live as individuals and as a congregation. It is in the blessed name of your Son, even our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, Father, that we pray. Amen.